Hare Krishna. A welcome to you all, and thank you for coming here to be at Bhaktivedanta Manor on this Saturday, early in the month of Kartik. Hare Krishna. Um, there comes a time in life when Prabhupada's words that the senses are unlimited, the, sen- no, <laughs> the senses are limited in their ability to perceive reality becomes ever increasingly a truth. <laughs> so this is uh, text 51. Translation, taking a humble position, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, because I am not of your level, I have asked you to teach me by explaining the faults and qualities in your poetry. Text 52. The translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Certainly, I have not studied the art of literary embellishments, but I have heard about it from higher circles, and thus I can review this verse and find in it many faults and mm-hmm. many good qualities. Purport. The statement, Kariyachi Shravan, I have heard it, is very important in the sense that hearing is more important than directly studying or perceiving. If one is expert in hearing and hears from the right source, his knowledge is immediately perfect. This process is called Shrautapantha, <coughs> or the acquisition of knowledge by hearing from authorities. All Vedic knowledge is based on the principle that one must approach a bona fide spiritual master and hear from him the authoritative statements of the Vedas. It is not possible, it is not necessary for one to be a highly polished literary man to receive knowledge. To receive perfect knowledge from a perfect person, one must be expert in hearing. This is called the descending process of, or did, descending process of deductive knowledge or Avaroha Pantha. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Omagyana Timanandasya Gyana Anjana Shalaka Chakshura Manitam Jaina Tasmai Shri Gurvena Shu Shu Sho Shadadana Sya The Supreme Truth is revealed to the seriously inquisitive student. Seriously inquisitive student. Um and one who is seriously inquisitive will listen very carefully. You know when you go on a plane and the cabin crew come and they say, there's an announcement made, please listen to these instructions, it may help you. <laughs> it may help you in the event of an emergency. And if your mind goes at that point, I've been on a plane so many times, there's never been an emergency. See, the only people that can say things like that are the the ones who are still alive. The ones who died in a plane crash, they can't say, I didn't really need to listen to the instructions. So it's sort of self-evidential that you don't really think that you need to listen to those instructions. So now an extra instruction comes on board plane. Please listen, even though you may be a frequent flyer. Okay? Please give the cabin crew your attention just for a few seconds. It's meant for your safety. Okay? So this is the guru. Please listen. It's meant for your safety in the event of an emergency. And then the guru says, actually we have an emergency situation ongoing. Brace, brace, brace. (laughs) The emergency situation is that the whole damn world is on fire. That's the emergency situation. We're on fire already. 
you got on board the day that you were born. <laughs> Your body is burning biologically. <laughs> it's burning with time, disease, old age, infirmity. <laughs> As Shakespeare says, you lose your eyes, you lose your nose, you lose your, you lose your ears, you lose your tongue, you lose everything. Sun's teeth, sun's nose, sun's eyes, sun's everything. So this is the situation in the material world. When you're, when you're in your 20s, you don't actually perceive this. And when you get older, the older you get, the more you perceive the frailties of the human body. And so the guru's instructions, they sometimes may be lost on a 20-something. Therefore, Prabhupada one time said to Bhagavad uh, Bhagavad was in Vrindavan and he was, he was joking with someone. And at that time, Prabhupada walked into the room. So he was laughing and Prabhupada was joking, was walking into the room. So Prabhupada heard the laughter and he said, uh, he said, do not think this will not happen to you. Do not think this will not happen to you. This will happen to you too. Now you are young. But do not think this will happen to you. It will happen to everybody. So those instructions stayed with him. And glorious is the disciple who's chastised by his guru in such a way. The point here is that the guru's instructions are sometimes lost because the, the disciple is usually a young person. Rupa Goswami or Sanatan Goswami in Hari Bhakti Vilas says that the best combination is young guru, young disciple. Second best combination, young disciple, old guru. Not a very good combination, old disciple, old guru. Why? There's not enough time. Not enough time. Don't leave it too late. Don't leave it too late before you become a seriously inquisitive student. You see? You have to become a very seriously inquisitive student. Serious means, Prabhupada said, initiation is the point at which you say, yes, sir, I will do as you say. <laughs> so the person who says, yes, sir, I will do as you say, that is a shushushushadadhanasya, the person who can capture. So you may listen attentively, but you have to also listen to the Guru's instructions for serving attentively. And that is a correlative path. Listening and then acting on that. Otherwise you've listened, and you've become expanded in your jnana, but not your vijnana. This is very hard. So the two things go together. Therefore we're told, tadvidi pranipatena, and the pranipat comes first. Get down on your hands and knees, pranipat. It means to go forward, pranipat, pra. Everything's a pra. Pradesh, entering into. Productioner going round. It's a movement forward. It's a forward movement, but pranipat going down. So going down, bowing, and then listening. These are two correlative functions. And the reason why that's important is because there are many people who are expert in Vedic knowledge. But they don't, they're not yet convinced of the seriousness of the situation, and they haven't surrendered to anybody. Bhaktitya Swami told me a story of when he was giving uh, Prabhupada great happiness by going into Eastern Europe and he was distributing Prabhupada's books to the different libraries. It was the, called the BBT Library Party. And um, somehow or another, we had in our possession over at the office of uh, BBL, the, uh, as Deepak will remember, we had the uh, uh, photocopies of the correspondence 
between uh, at least the devotees giving in their reports. So they were doing wonders. They were going to these different universities and they were giving uh, sets of Prabhupada's books, not giving sets, but they were selling sets to the universities by convincing the various professors that, you know, you need these books, you need these books. And so Bhagavad Swami told me a story. He was in one uh, place, I think it was Italy, and, uh, the, and, and of course we were selling the books in those days, but not many people had actually read them. You know, it's like we say sometimes we go to a, a home and there is Bhagavad Gita as it is <laughs> on the shelf. <laughs> and we know how it, as it, we know that it's as it is because it's as it is unchanged since the very day they received it from the life membership crew 20 years ago. Bhagavad Gita as it is still wrapped in plastic. Okay, unchanged, unread, undusted still wrapped in plastic. The whole idea is that when you receive a book is to actually read it because the message message is there. So he was he was speaking and this professor was one of the world experts in Rupa Goswami. There are such people. So he was telling him these stories about Rupa Goswami and it was uh, Rupa Goswami at Ramakali, Rupa Goswami in Vrindavan, Rupa Goswami in this place, Rupa Goswami did this, and he said this, and he wrote this, giving him the exact dates of everything. And back to Tirtha Swami at that time was, of course, he was <laughs> he had his big Afro wig on, and he was there, and you know, he didn't want to get detected as being something other than <laughs> what he was, a person simply doing a secular library service. And so he was listening, listening, listening. And then the person got to the end of the wonderful description about Rupa Goswami and this person was a world expert on Rupa Goswami and then he reached into his pocket took out a packet of cigarettes put one in his mouth and lit one up and back to cheer the Swami said at that point <laughs> the, the curtain of Maya just fell <laughs> because I knew that this person even though he was so expert in studying Rupa Goswami actually didn't understand how to really f be a follower of Rupa Goswami so you can be an expert in the knowledge. And we have many uh, devotees who are now becoming experts in Srila Prabhupada's books. But that's not the point. Are you expert in following Srila Prabhupada's books? This is the point. We have many, many people who know thousands of verses, but are you becoming an expert in following? This is, a, this is the test. Shushu show Shadadanas, you're the seriously inquisitive student. A is one who knows that there may be a plane crash. In fact, there will be a plane crash. Okay? There will be a plane crash one day. And it may be today or maybe tomorrow. Okay? I just, we, we received the news just yesterday that the wonderful devotee who painted this picture of Panchatattva that's been here for 44 years, she just passed away just a couple of days ago. She's one of the early disciples of Srila Prabhupada, Charadiya Devi Dasi. May Krishna bless her on her continued journey. But came to came to Prabhupada very uh, early on, and uh, and was always uh, painting, very devoted to her spiritual master. But that is unfortunately that's the bad news. The bad news is that future is there for all of us. The good news is that in this one human life, we've been given a very special gift. Hmm? 
very special gift is that we had an opportunity to contact um, a pure devotee, spiritual master, in one form or another. And it's, it's not um, a common thing. It's not a common thing. There's a certain, there's a certain, uh, I won't say frequent flyer syndrome in the world. Even as the Hare Krishna movement spreads all over the world, the frequent flyer syndrome is that we either take uh, Prabhupada casually, or we don't listen to him seriously enough, or we don't think that there's going to be an imminent crisis. And Prabhupada's books are always, they're written on a cliff edge. Practically speaking, Prabhupada's books are written on a, a cliff edge in the sense that he's speaking, um, he's speaking not to our mind and senses, but he's speaking to the soul. He's saying, get out of that situation. You really have to become free from that situation because it's, there are dire consequences to remaining attached in your present situation. So he's speaking to the, the highest possible level of uh, intelligence. And this was quite amazing since he was speaking to very uh, young men and women. You know, there there is a tendency now for us to, um, should we say, pad the essential messages out of uh, Krishna consciousness and to teach and preach in such a way that accommodates a person's um, desires to be an individual or desires to be uh, have a career or desires to be like this or desires to be like that. We are pandering to desires in the, um, <clears throat> in the hope that perhaps more people will uh, take to uh, Krishna consciousness. Um, but the actual fact is that if we uh, uh, simply repeat what Prabhupada said, uh, then uh, people are very, very attracted. Um, perhaps I'm speaking like this because I've just come from a, a retreat. We're on retreat. And I just, you know, repeated the things that um, Prabhupada had said, but uh, it came as very fresh to this particular audience, who are not an ISKCON audience. But um, they, they commented that this is uh, very refreshing for them. They come from the yoga, the yoga tradition, the yoga background, which is somewhat selective, somewhat selective in the sense that um, there are uh, within the whole field of Vedic studies, there is a uh, there is a, a hierarchy of messages that one may have, and one may accommodate career, one may accommodate physical well-being, etc., etc., like that. But I think that. Um, the real speciality of this movement is the undiluted message of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada because no other movement is providing that. And if we don't do that, then the world may never hear that message. And that's a very easy thing. It would be a very easy thing to do. I, I, I think that Prabhupada would have been more popular had he accommodated more sense gratification. He would have been more popular had he accommodated more uh, worldly-minded people. He would have been more popular had he accommodated more, um, you know, more perhaps more features of the, the Vedic lifestyle. One time a young man came to him and he said, um, I've read your books. He said, but I don't want to be a Brahmin. I want to be a Kshatriya. This was early on in the 1960s, <laughs> before Prabhupada started talking about Ranashram. He said, I'm sorry. He said, this movement is not for you. <laughs> 
There was very little time. There was very little time. <laughs> he wanted to create an organization for people who uh, would be serious students of the absolute truth according to the teachings of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, his guru, who was teaching from Bhaktivinoda and Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur and ultimately Rupa Goswami. And let there be one movement that at least does that. Let, let there be one movement that does that. There may be so many other movements. Prabhupada started other movements. People always think that ISKCON was the only movement. He started another movement for publishing books. It was called the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust. All right, ISKCON was the only customer, <laughs> except a few universities. And then he started another uh, movement called the uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami Charity Trust. And uh, this was for repairing the places of pilgrimage and the sites, the holy sites of the Gaudiya Acharyas. All right, ISKCON was the only sponsor, <laughs> but at least it was another organization. <laughs> then he started another, or he wanted to start another organization right here in England. And this organization was, was going to be called the Society for Sinless Men. <laughs> he said there are so many clubs so many clubs where men like to go and they like to smoke and drink in Piccadilly and Pall Mall and uh, Kensington, Chelsea. There are so many clubs. You'd heard about these clubs. So let us start a club. And it's going to be called the Society for Sinless Men. And there'll be no smoking, no drinking. <laughs> and uh, he was serious about this. So he, 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 he had um, every idea. So there can be different societies. But at least one society should not be compromised. And this means that uh, this one society, the business is a very, uh, very straightforward, very straightforward business. Very straightforward business. Because actually people are looking, people are really searching. And, um, you know, the Hare Krishna mantra, you may be happy to know, is spreading all over the world. Sometimes it's being spread by ISKCON. Huh? But in many, many places, it's not. It's being spread by other organizations that teach yoga and the Hare Krishna mantra. Or the Hare Krishna mantra and other mantras. You see? So the Hare Krishna mantra is good for everybody. It's meant to go to every town and village. But it doesn't mean that this organization will do it. Certainly if we're waiting for this organization to do it, it may take some time. Because we haven't, we've hardly reached Norwich yet. <laughs> It's 2017, and we've just reached Norwich. Okay, How long is it going to take to, to reach every town and village in just this country? And no point going there and standing on the street and shouting out, Hare Krishna, and looking at your watch, getting back in the van, and thinking, well, that's Lord Chaitanya's message delivered. We have to sing, chant, dance, surprasadam, give classes, open centers, until we have some seriously inquisitive students that will, least, that will at least replace ourselves. There's a big problem in the Western world, a really, really, really big problem. But none of us will solve that problem because this is a movement dedicated to either celibacy or not having very many children. But the big problem is that the Western Europe's population is not being replaced. People are having the sense gratification of sex life, but they're not having children. This is a big problem. Big problem. It's beginning to be a big problem now. 
and it'll be a big, big, huge problem in 30 years' time. Big problem. Why? Because you need at least, at least two people to replace a man and a woman. Then you've only just replaced the population. If you want the population to grow, then you, in, you, you invite other souls to take shelter of that family. That was originally the idea in Krishna consciousness, that we invite souls to take birth in our family. Somehow or another, we kind of lost that idea, and it's kind of a celibacy or mixed celibacy or grihasta ashram celibacy or whatever it is, it's not adding up to a huge birth rate for the Hare Krishna movement. Therefore, if we don't have a huge birth rate, and we don't have, you know, we're making devotees, but we're losing devotees at the same time, then Western Europe looks very dire. Russia's okay. Russia's fixed on both counts. Reproduction and preaching. <laughs> They're really good. You go, you, you watch, you watch a movie of the, the festival in Ukraine, and you'll find seven, eight, nine, ten thousand devotees. Okay? All with their hands in the air. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama. So they're doing something right. Doing something right. Unfortunately, here in the British Isles, France, Germany, Italy, we have had our first wave, and now we're waiting for the second wave. Second wave will only come about when we actually follow Chaitanya Charitamrita, and we take the message very seriously. And each one of you replaces the Vaishnav population by at least three people. At least three people. Each of you has to create at least three seriously inquisitive students. If you don't, then we're lost. That's it. It's finished. The Hare Krishna movement is finished. Am I speaking strongly enough? I can speak even more strongly. Okay. Hare Krishna movement is finished unless each person replaces themselves, because we're all going to die, okay, by at least three people. If you do that, you will have tripled the number of the Hare Krishna movement. So I ask you, if I was a Christian, I would say, look into your hearts. If I was a new age person, I would say, look into your heart center. You know, feel the, you know, put it, put it out to the universe. Okay? Or put it out to whoever you like. Put it out to A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. That this Kartik, we developed the resolution to push forward Krishna consciousness in a very practical way. Otherwise, it's no good. You see? Otherwise, it's drowning on the Titanic. Okay? And you're reaching in to help someone. You're holding their hand for a few minutes, and then you're letting go. And you can say, yes, I did it. I did my part to save someone. We didn't hold on. What good is a movement like ours if you don't hold on to someone? Where are they? Where, where are the people that I gave class to 10 years ago? They're not here, not sitting here. Where are they? 20 years ago, definitely not. 30 years ago, they've all gone. And I can't, I can't be the only one to sit on this cushion and, and look at ever, the ever-changing revolving door of ISKCON. We must develop permanency and we must develop geographical spread. It's extremely important. So that means those of you who live within the M25, you should understand that there's something beyond the M25. And there are no dragons there. There are no dragons there. Take it upon yourself. Just like our young man here, Goran Orion. Give him a round of applause. He has, he has taken it upon himself. And he's from where? Where are you from? You're from where? 
Nanitan. India. He's from India. He's from India. And he's taken a promise to go and live beyond the M25 so that he can spread Krishna consciousness to people in East Anglia, where there are actually dragons. <laughs> so he's there. He's come all the way from India and he went beyond the M25. Meanwhile, those in, living in London and the M25, we never go beyond. We've taken a vow. Brajbasis. I will never, ever, ever go beyond eight miles from Bhaktivedanta I take this vow now. This is my Kartik vow. Well, aren't you a great Vaishnava? Uh, aren't you a great Vaishnava? Point is, we have one person who even when he was really sick, even when he was really sick, he came here to Bhaktivedanta Manor and he came here to see his disciples and to encourage all of us. So this is Prabhupada's, this, the floor that you're sitting on is the last place that Prabhupada came beyond India. So this place is a very strategic place. Prabhupada may have passed away in Vrindavan, but it wasn't until he had come to back to Vedanta Manor to give us a little extra push. And that was a push. Because the time that Prabhupada spent here in 1977 was a great push to everybody who was there. Mm, Prabhupada pushed everybody by his hand gestures. You know, just dance, dance. Okay. Now we've even forgot dancing. Okay. Now everything is sitting. Sitting and doing kirtan. We've even forgotten how to dance. Huh? We don't dance anymore. When was the last time you danced in kirtan? And so many people come. Kirtan is going raging you know, like this. You know, dance in kirtan. Like this. Our movement is kirtan, singing and dancing. Okay. Feasting. Perhaps we've got the feasting along the way. Huh? Let's bring back feasting. Singing and dancing. So these things are there. That's Prabhupada's original message. But it's no good keeping it to yourself. Don't be a creepana. Huh? You have to, as a miser, you have to give it to others. So in this verse we find that a person who seriously listens, uh, uh, Vedic culture is of course a, a uh, culture of uh, listening. There's no books. We always talk about, oh, you know, the whole movement is based on books. and The first book wasn't done until the printing, movable printing press was in 1496 in Germany. Before that it was written down, but we have an oral culture. Don't think that books go way, 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 way back. It's all about the oral culture. You had to listen, otherwise you wouldn't know the Vedas. You had to listen. Therefore, along with diksha, or the giving of the Vedas, you would have shiksha, which was teaching you how to chant the Vedas. Of course, the word shiksha now has changed way beyond the original meaning. The original meaning of the word shiksha was teaching you how to pronounce the Vedas. Because without pronouncing all the syllables in the right sequence and the right length, great problems could ensue. Like who was he? He created Twashta. He created, instead of someone who would kill Indra, he created someone who was, would be killed by Indra. What was his name? Yeah. Yeah. 
So the point here is that the Vedas have to be chanted according to their original pronunciation. And that is a very important, very important element. Of course, later on, grammar, euphony, strength of syllable chanting, breathing, all these things gave way to just the one element of shiksha, which was the theology behind the mantras. So when we say uh, shiksha, we're using it in a, a medieval context. The medieval context is that it is uh, the th- teaching only the theology behind the mantra. And certainly in a, in a time when we have printed books, we no longer uh, make a, an effort to retain. Is it? But we should make an effort to retain because there will be times in your life when you need to know verses and you need to chant from memory. You need to know a lot from memory. So that is a important point. And that's why we, you know, we don't just put the, the verse up on the, uh, uh, this, the way we do it, chanting the verse uh, eight times, ten times. This is a continuation of the ancient Gurukula system that everybody was chanting a verse in order to remember it. That was the point. You know, unless you remembered it, you couldn't commit it to memory. Unless you committed it to memory, you couldn't chant it. You see, if you open up a book at a fire sacrifice in ancient times, people will look at you as if you're a very bad student. Shushu Shosharadanasya means that you have Shuti Dharma, that you have captured this in your memory. And if you have a good memory, A, it means that you were celibate, because you need celibacy to keep the fluids in the brain and remember the verses. B, it means that you're seriously listening to your guru. So it's said to be a low-class Brahmin who needs the prompt of the words on the page. Although we all do it, you're not meant to do it. You're meant to actually remember things. In British times, uh, in the late 1800s, there was um, there was an incident involving um, two army officers, two British army officers in uh, uh, in India on the bank of the Ganges River. And uh, this incident were, began with an argument which developed into a quarrel, which developed into a sword fight, which developed into one officer being seriously injured. And the case was brought to the court-martial. And uh, they said, well, first thing was, was there any witnesses? Because they were both saying, you did it, you did it. It's a true story. So he says, is there something, uh, you know, were, were there any witnesses? He said, no, there were, this was three weeks later. There was just one old man sitting doing his prayers by the Ganges. And so they said, bring him. He said, yeah, but, you know, they, they, he, didn't, he, can't, he won't be able to remember. It's three weeks ago. Besides, he doesn't, didn't speak English. He couldn't understand what was going on. Was, bring him, bring him to the court. So they brought him to the court, and although he didn't speak a word of English, because he was a Paka Brahmin, he'd heard the vibration in English, and he, in the court, he perfectly reproduced the conversation between the two British army officers. Just because he was a Shuti Dharma, that's the, I mean, it's a Shuti Dhar, Shuti Dhar, sorry. Shuti Dhar. I love my temple president. So Shuti Dhar. Shuti Dhar. Shuti, to hear, dhara, to hold, to capture. 
And so he perfectly reproduced it, and one of them was consequently found guilty. So you can go and find the records of this court case. So the whole point here is that he heard the vibration, it was important enough for him to listen, overheard it, and he could reproduce it. That's a Brahmin. That's a Brahmin. So that's what we're aiming for. And uh, by the wonders of a computer now, we know which verses Prabhupada committed to memory. And uh, the, the, the strange thing is that Prabhupada committed to memory almost the entire Bhagavad Gita. Almost the entire 700 verses. It's like 500, what is it, 588 verses Prabhupada knew off by heart. Now, I never knew that. It took computers to sort of reveal the extent to which Prabhupada knew. And the verses that Prabhupada used, now we know which verses he used most, which verses he used least. So we can commit to memory the verses that Prabhupada used in his purports, letters, lectures. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing. This is a sort of a great revelation. And those verses should be to us like old friends. You know, or it should be like, I don't know if you grew up on Popeye, but I grew up on Popeye. Popeye and his spinach. You know, when Popeye was always in a dangerous situation, he would reach into his pocket and he'd pull out his spinach, you know, <laughs> and he would eat his spinach and then whoever the opponent was. So with us, the Shastra is our spinach. We reach into our pocket, our little memory. Uh, now everything is uh, in your phone. Everything's in the phone. It's all become separated from you. It's very interesting, actually, that all over India, there's a big problem now. People used to come to the temples and they would stand in front of the deities and they would make a prayer from their heart. They used to say a prayer that their mother had taught them by the heart. Now, increasingly, all over India, we find people come in front of the deity and the first thing they do is they whip out their iPhone 7 or 8 or 15 and they just point the phone at the deity and take a picture. Now, how would it be if you were invited to go and see Her Majesty the Queen, God bless her, okay? And you're standing in front of the Queen, and the first thing that you do, instead of listening to the Queen, okay, that's what you do. You say, yes, Your Majesty. Then you listen. Queen's going to say something. And usually she says something which recognizes what you have done for your country. But instead of listening to her, you whip out your iPhone 8, and you just put, hold it in front of her face, and she says, why are you doing that? I said, I want to remember the moment. Okay? Your memory is not in this little device. Your memory should be here and here. So the point is we have to commit these things to memory. doesn't matter that it's in the books. Take the book off the shelf and read it. And then as soon as you've read it, learn it. As soon as you've learned it, speak it. Because if you don't speak it, if you don't speak it, you'll lose it. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Okay? So we have now, we have the College of Vedic Studies, we have the wonderful courses that are being taught. People can go and they can study for five years, Bhakti Shastri, get the certificate. And unfortunately, sometimes we never see them again. This is not capturing the words of the Guru. Capturing the words of the Guru will be evidenced by the fact that you're using the words of the Guru to spread the mission of the Guru. That's the point. No, we're not after creating students. We're after creating teachers. That's what we want. We want teachers of Krishna consciousness. See? And we, we don't want followers. It's not a religious cult. If you want to belong to a religious cult, there are so many. Please join them. 
But this is a movement for creating not followers, but leaders. Leaders who will take his teachings and give them to others. This is the whole point. You cannot give them unless you've truly received them. And you can't receive them unless you've taken them to heart. You won't take them to heart unless you remember. And you won't remember unless you've really, really, really listened and tried to memorize. So if you go into a gurukula, any gurukula uh, in the morning, and you'll just hear not the verse being chanted ten times, but the verse being chanted three hundred times. Three hundred times the brahmacharis will chant a verse and then they will remember it over and over and over again. So there are different ways that you chant a verse. You chant a verse backwards, you chant a verse forwards, two words, backwards, two words, forwards, three words, backwards, three words. These are all ways of chanting given by the great sages, including Srila Vyasadeva, to memorizing a Shastra. Literally speaking, you know it front to back. Front to back. Prabhupada makes mention of this when he talks about Gajendra. When Gajendra was in a crisis situation and he called out to the Lord. And Prabhupada makes two comments. He says, first of all, he called out to Providence because he didn't really know who he was calling out to. He just called out to someone. But is then, he, then he recited some verses and these verses were verses that he remembered from his previous life. So even in his elephant body, he could remember these verses. Okay? So um, we should think to ourselves, when I'm an elephant in, in my next life, uh, if I'm a foolish disciple, you get to be an elephant, <laughs> which verses will I remember? Which verses remember? How much of this philosophy do I actually know? How much do I actually know? If you were stuck at a lift with a very important person and they said, so... What's, it, what's your movement all about? Would you go, well, it's... Uh, okay, well, what's your philosophy all about? Well, it's, uh, you, know, you know, you must know what you're going to say. Otherwise, how can you teach? And how can you be a preacher? And it must be logical and systematic. Nowadays, we have devotees who know so many things, and they know so many details about so many things. Now you have, you know, you have people, you, you, you have a book that will tell you how many buttons are on Radharani's skirt. We're publishing such books, okay? Or, the, the, you know, the, the, the movement of a Goswami's eyes or so many details, so many pieces of information. So how much information can you actually store? Not a lot. And believe me, better to do it while you're young. So the things that you remember while you're young should be the most important things. And not just the sutras, not just the shlokas. Chant Hare Krishna. Okay. Chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Follow the four regulated principles. Yes, th those are little, you know, but why? Why do those things? Follow the, uh, have some way of uh, conveying the philosophy in a systematic and a logical way. Otherwise it won't be appealing to people intellectually. And if you cannot appeal to people intellectually, you will be appealing to people emotionally. And we shall become a very emotional movement. And we will attract many, many followers, but they'll be emotional followers. You see, not people attracted through the intellect and good logical presentation, scientific presentation, but they're attracted by their 
uh, attracted by the emotions. And someone whose mother was a devotee of Krishna, whose grandfather was a devotee of Krishna, they will come anyway. They will come because it's a family thing to do. That's fine. That's all right. But they will also need to know a systematic presentation of the philosophy. Otherwise, it stops right there. It's very nice that we're initiating so many people now. Very nice that we're initiating thousands of people. But if not one of those thousands of people turns into a preacher of Krishna consciousness, then we are stuffed. It's over. You know, and we've, this is where the parampara finishes, right here. A few followers, a few scattered followers. If you want to see it continue, you yourself have to take up the responsibility. Don't think that preaching Krishna consciousness is up to a few people in the temple called preachers. And that my job is just to be a supporter of the temple. And if I give money to the temple, that's the job done. It's not the job done. Otherwise, you know, we have, we have 95% of the Hare Krishna movement is paying for someone to do something but no one's, you know, the the 5% is just, it's just not enough to take this movement to every town and village. The sums don't add up. So you're all intelligent people. Do the maths, as they say in America. Do the maths. It's not stacking up. So therefore, we have a brace-brace situation. We better listen very carefully to the Guru's instructions. Because otherwise, otherwise, we can say goodbye we can say goodbye. This will be the last generation and we will be a blip in history. A nice blip, a all singing, all chanting, all halva eating blip. But it will be a blip nonetheless. And maybe the blip will continue in Russia for a little longer. It's a very, very serious situation that we are in. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.